So we're uh, continuing our look today at the uh, parables of Jesus, and today we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Uh, that parable is typically titled uh, The Rich Fool, and so uh, uh, any parable with the word fool in it uh, gets my attention. It tells me it's immediately applicable to me, and so um, I need to, to listen and, and pay attention to this. So the text is printed in the bulletin and also uh, up on uh, the screen uh, behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made a judge or arbit- who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So one of the things that uh, this is, this is just a stark picture, right? And it's kind of just slaps you right in the face because you, you, you have this story, uh, the man uh, is quite prosperous, and then all of a sudden he dies, right? And so you're like, oh, you know, this is, this is a little stark. The problem with, with this parable, one of the things that we have to kind of get our, our minds around is, is that the, the context of this, of this thing, because the context is what drives what Jesus uh, is is getting at so um, so it arises today's parable arises from a question, really a cry for justice, right? Um, and so what we have here is a man in the crowd looks at Jesus, and in the first century, rabbis were often called upon to judge uh, disputes like this, and he says, "Hey, tell my brother, uh, probably his older brother, tell my brother." To divide the inheritance with me. <clears throat> and so we hear that and we immediately think, well, that's a terrible thing. But you know what? He's right. He's not. He wants justice. There is injustice against him. Okay? So it's, it is his brother's job to divide the inheritance. And for whatever reason, he's not doing it. And so he's crying out for justice. Okay, so as we the the very first thing that you have to see about this is that's that's where this is coming from, right? And so so we immediately, as we hear that, we think, well, we know this is going to end up bad because Jesus is pretty harsh with him. But the fact is, the truth is, this this applies very directly to me because how often do I say to Jesus, Jesus, you need to get up and take care of this other person, take care of this, fix this. And so one of the things that happens with that is he's not wrong to cry for justice, but we have to be careful when we, when we cry out in this situation to understand, well, wait a minute, what are, what really is my motive here? What's going on? There's a, a quote I put at the beginning of the bulletin from Leslie Newbigin, who's a, was a, uh, 
uh, uh, Anglican uh, missionary for many, many years in India. And uh, he says this in a way that kind of got my attention this week and has really challenged me. He says, all human causes are ambiguous and all human actions are involved in the illusions which are the product of our egotism. If we acknowledge the God of the Bible, we are committed to struggle for justice in society. Justice means giving each his due. Our problem, as seen in the light of the gospel, is that each of us overestimates what is due him compared to what is due to his neighbor. Well, really? I, hmm. So um, that's, that, that gets my attention. So if I do not acknowledge a justice which judges the justice for which I fight, I am an agent not of justice but of lawless tyranny. So in other words, what, what happens here is as, we, as, as he comes at this issue of justice, one of the things that he needs to think about is, you know, what, what else is going on here? And so what he wants Jesus to do is to make the other guy, his brother, somebody he grew up with, somebody in his family, do what it is that, that he's supposed to do. So what you have to see about this is, so this context of this parable is in a broken relationship. The, these brothers have a broken relationship. And one of the things that was so shocking to me when I first got into this business was that uh, the happiest occasions and the, the occasions that should bring families together often blow them up. Weddings. <laughs> births. And even in, in, in a healthy family, a funeral can actually be a positive thing. You know, we got together, we, we trusted in Christ together, you know, we cried together, we did this. Uh, but if there are cracks in the family system, these kind of events blow them wide open. And so here we have, there's been a death, you know, and, and there's a problem uh, between the brothers. And for whatever reason, the older brother, whose job it is, is to divide the inheritance, his younger brother's not getting it, and he wants it taken care of, right? So there's already a broken relationship between the man and his brother, and then rather than ask for reconciliation, he just seeks his share. Now, that's very telling for us. Rather than go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, uh, my dad died, and uh, my brother's the executor of the estate, and uh, he, you know, we, we have a disagreement. He won't divide the estate uh, with me. Could you help us reconcile our relationship? He doesn't say that. I don't care about the relationship. I care about the money. Right? So it's a very, it's a pretty, pretty powerful uh, picture here about uh, what we sh- shoot for in life, the way we you know, the way we kind of think about our lives and our stuff and our relationships, right? So Jesus rebukes this and proceeds to tell this parable. And in fact, when he says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you, that, that, that is, uh, that's not like saying friend or anything like that. That's, that's a very gruff and kind of rough way to, to, to address this uh, situation and be very clear, like, you know what, uh, I don't appreciate your question. I don't appreciate what you're asking. I don't, you know, no, no. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. Let me, let me uncover what's going on in your heart a little bit to kind of get at what's going on here, right? Um, and have you ever thought, you know, like, uh, um, I can just see this 
playing out where there's this crowd around Jesus and he's popular and all these things are going. And this guy looks at him and he thinks, you know, Jesus always does things right. And he yells out to him. He says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother who might be right there next to him, you know, (laughs) tell him to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, man, who made me a judge between you? What do you do when that happens? You know, you're like, oh, yeah, I wish I was invisible. You know, I'd, I'd like to hide right now. But just think, if he hadn't been such a jerk, we wouldn't have this great parable, right? <laughs> so uh, so God works these things out for, for our benefit, right? But I, I have thought, like, wow, you know, how humiliating, how embarrassing. You know, Jesus, he, he is like, I'll, I'll put it in your face. Anyway, so, so Jesus rebukes this, and he proceeds to tell this parable. And, and basically what the parable says to us is our lives do not consist of what we own. And yet again, here's Jesus telling us something that we all nod our heads to and we don't believe. Next slide. So um, there's, a, there's a great quote uh, about this, you know, wealthy, poor, or in between. We are, all of us, in Jesus' eyes, nothing but unreconstructed rich people. Did you know that? You're an unconstructed rich person because we clutch at our, our lives rather than open our hands, right? So, so the fact is, and, and that's the truth for all of us, whether, whether we have a lot, and, and you know what? It, you know, who, you're, you're a poor judge of how much you have, right? Whether, whether you have a lot or whether you don't have very much, the issue is, how much time, energy, and life do you spend thinking about that which you don't have or that which you want to get, right? And so, so there's, a, there's an issue here of our affection and our connection uh, uh, to these things, right? And so in Jesus' eyes, he's being very clear here that, you know, all of us have a problem with our stuff, all of us have a problem with wanting more stuff, and all of us have a problem with coveting the stuff of other people, Right? So much so that we'll allow it to break a relationship with somebody we've known all our life, namely our brother. Right? That's the real tragedy uh, that's 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 going on here. Right? And one of the things that I, I noticed, I, I read a story this week um, uh, about uh, the effect of um, online commerce on Americans, average everyday Americans. You know, uh, the fact that it, it won't be long, and I'm sure within you know, a matter of a couple of years, you'll be able to go on one of these websites like Amazon or something like that, you know, order a sofa, and within three minutes, you know, a drone will fly over your house and drop that sofa right there, right? I mean, this is, this is where all this stuff is, is kind of heading. You remember, remember when, you were, when I was a kid, we used to watch Star Trek, and when Star Trek, one of the things that I always thought would be the coolest thing to have in Star Trek was they would go up to this computer and say, I want, you know, a hamburger. And this little door would open and a hamburger would be right there. And you know what? We're not that far from that, are we? Really. But the problem with that is we have too much stuff. We're hoarders. Yeah, we're hoarders. So Jesus is getting at what's going on with, 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 with our hearts here. So he tells us stories. First thing he says is there was a certain rich man. So the guy doesn't get rich in the middle of the parable. He's already rich. First thing out of the chute, right? It's not, he doesn't get rich because of what happens with these fields producing a lot. Before his field produces one stinking grain of wheat or corn or whatever, he's already rich. 
He's very rich. He's rich. So he's a rich guy, right? Uh, so that's that we have to, to see that about the context of this already. And that kind of shapes the direction that the parable goes in. And then Jesus said, his land produced plentifully. Now, now notice what Jesus says here. He doesn't say that the man worked really hard and that he developed new types of seeds or new types of fertilizer or new types of cultivation. It's, it's like he didn't do much. The land produced. The land produced. So what he has, this giant bumper crop of whatever it is he grows, it, it, it just came to him, right? The land, which is God's, you know, it just happened to produce. And now he's got this, uh, this, this bumper crop. So the rich guy, just simply by going about his business, is getting even richer, right? And you know what? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with rich. There's nothing wrong with having land that produces. The problem comes when we get at his heart. Next slide. So he thinks to himself, and this is the thing that to me is the real tragedy in the, in, in the context of this parable, right? He says, um, what shall I do? He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, he's already saying to his soul, right? Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So it's, so who does he go to for advice? Right? He's isolated. Right? He, he's not, he, he, and, and, and how poignant this is in the context of a question about a broken relationship in a family. Right? So, so the, the issue here right off the bat is there, and, and this is a, you, you need to think about this. Affluence isolates. It really does. Uh, if for no other reason that it makes us less dependent on one another, right? And so, and I'm not, I'm not going to try to tell you today, you know, it would do you all a lot of good to be more dependent on one another, but it would do you a lot of good to be more dependent on one another, okay? How great would it have been for this guy if he had a friend or a brother to say, hey, God's been so good to you. You are so blessed. Let's think about something else to do with all this stuff. Right? But he doesn't have anybody else to talk to. He's all to himself. He's all isolated. Uh, he, did, he doesn't even have one of those uh, scary things that many of you have in your houses. You know, Alexa or Siri or whatever that thing is. And so she could tell him, hey, idiot. You know? Maybe you need to do something else with this, right? So he just thinks to himself, he, has, he takes his own counsel and he says, you know what, I'll, I'll tear down these barns and build larger ones. So there's no mention of anyone else, right? He doesn't think, you know what, the guys that work for me, they did a great job. It's bonus time, right? He didn't even think that. St. Augustine says that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. You know, it never occurs to him in the midst of all this that 
perhaps what I need to do here is, yes, fill the existing barns that I have. Okay, nothing wrong with that. And I'm going to give everything else to the poor, right? Because why would you do that? Why would you do that? But, and this is the thing that's so irritating about God. Just when you think, I got it made. This is so awesome. I'm tearing down these barns. It's going to be good. And God's like, hey, I see you. I am going to mess with your plan. You're going to die. (laughs) Right? I mean, just think about this for a second. I, I thought about this. You know, I put myself in God's shoes here. I do that all the time. But I, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, you know, if I was God, what would I do in this situation? I would be like, hey, you know, I'm going to put a bull weevil in your barn. Or, hey, you know what? I'm going to burn your barns down. Or, or something like that. Or I'm, I'm going to cause there to be some kind of salmonella outbreak from your, from your corn. And, and you're going to get sued. And your stock's going to go down. You know, whatever it is. He could have done that, but what does he do? He's like, you know what? Boom. You got what's yours. You thought all that corn, you thought all that grain was yours. Well, you know what's mine? You are. And I'm taking it back. It's mine. Right? Pretty pretty powerful picture there, right? It never occurs to us that our lives are not ours, but on loan from God. Right? Seems like it's mine. Uh, But our very existence, who we are, our identity, uh, our soul, our body, all all these things that make up us uh, are not really our own, but belong to him. Right? And then Jesus rounds out the parable with these kind of terrifying words where he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, right? And so you read that and you're like, what what does not rich toward God mean? I I don't even know what that means. How how do I get rich toward God? Do I I read more of the Bible? Do I pray more? Do I, what what does that mean? How how do I cultivate getting rich? Uh, getting getting rich toward God. Well, I, I think there's a couple of things that you have to think about about this, and there are a couple of clues in the text uh, that that help us understand this. Because uh, I think when Jesus told this parable, uh, Becky, you can go to the next slide. Uh, he intended to leave the people with a question. Well, what am I supposed to do with my stuff? What am I supposed to do when I'm successful? What am I supposed to do with, with stewardship? What am I supposed to do? I mean, I got this stuff, so what am I supposed to do about it? How am I supposed to think about it? Right? Just as the case is broken here, where the relationship is broken, Jesus goes on to explain what he's getting at. So the rest of the passage, he looks at his disciples because he knows they're thinking, well, gee, you know, I... I'd like to have barns that are overflowing that I have to tear down and fill up. What, what's wrong with that? I, I, I don't even know how to think about this. And so he says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, now why does he say that? This is, this is very telling. Why does he say that? He says that because what's the first word out of the rich guy's mouth after he builds his new barns? Relax. 
relax. Relax. You don't have to worry anymore. You know, don't you want to be? That's, that's kind of what our, isn't that what we're shooting for? To get to a place where I can relax? Right? Where I don't have to worry? You know? Jesus understands that. That's why the very first thing out of his mouth when he explains the parable is, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? He keeps harping on this anxiety thing, doesn't he? Right? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. That has something to do with anxiety, doesn't it? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. Fear not. Why would they be afraid? Well, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, go back. Go back. Um, so here's the thing. And this, this is what's so, so hilarious to me. I've been thinking about this all week. You know, nobody runs their life like Jesus says to run their life. Okay? When you, if you read what Jesus says about money and stuff, you're like, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, sell your possessions and give to the needy? So, we take the Bible seriously. So what must be going on here? Well, there's this thing called hyperbole. You ever heard of that? Uh, if you ever have... Uh, well, I, I, I learned a long time ago that with some members of my family that when a situation arises that you have to take everything that they've just said to you and described to you and cut it in half. And then that begins to approximate reality, right? That's what's really going on here. So maybe Jesus is just saying, I know you're not going to sell your possessions. I know you're not going to do that. But at least think about it. I'm done. You know, at least I got you to think a little bit about it, right? You know, Jesus looks, sits in the temple, and this is one of the things that is different between me and Jesus. I, 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 I try not to know what people give around here. I try not to know that. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but I try not to know. But Jesus doesn't have any problem with, you know, taking everybody's check out of the offering plate and looking at it and judging it. Right? He does that in the temple. 
<laughs> you know, you wonder why it took them three years to kill him. But anyway, he's, he's looking at all of these things, you know, and, and he sees the widow come in and she gives all that she has. She gave all that she had and she gets commended. Now, I train our deacons in this church. And one of the things we do in a situation like this is we would take the widow and we would say, that's really good, but we need to get you on a budget and we need to, we, you, you need to quit giving so much so that we don't have to give you food from the food pantry. Now, I, I'm, t- I'm telling you this because I, I this, I, I don't think Jesus leaves us with a place where we can say, here is the manageable center of how you can think about your stuff. I don't think that's what he's going for. I think he's going for something else, right? Because the truth is you could sell all your possessions and still not be rich toward God. Okay? Do you get that? Whew. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Thanks for that. I can relax now, right? So, so the issue is, what, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to think about this? And how is it possible for somebody like me to cultivate wealth towards God? Okay, so Becky, next slide. So the first thing that you have to get, and this is where we have to get back to the very beginning, is do not forget that this parable is an answer to a, que- a request for justice in a broken relationship, right? The, the man... Who's asked, who asked for Jesus to do this is isolated. And all he can see is that his brother has, this, has perpetuated this injustice against him and he wants his money. He doesn't want his brother. He doesn't want to be restored in his relationship. What, what is true of him is, is that he lives in a world where he might run out of money. He lives in a world where there might be a shortage. And so as a result of that, he is anxious and he is coveting and he has turned in on himself and he is demanding that he get what is rightfully his. It's rightfully his, but it's the demandingness that is the problem because that reveals to us the status of his heart, right? And so, so we have to see that at the very beginning. He's isolated just like the rich man is in the parable. They're both isolated. They're both turned in on themselves and they both can only see what they have, what they need. That's it. That's it, right? So what Jesus is doing here is he is saying to us, listen, You need one another. You need other people to love you enough to help you to think through these things, right? You need a community of people. You need somebody to love you enough to say, you know what? Tearing down your barns and building new ones is stupid. Your life's not your own. Your barns aren't your own. The land's not your own. We need need people to kind of reorient us uh, uh, when it comes for this, right? So you have to understand that the whole context of this is that our coveting, Our drive for our own uh, puts us in such a difficult position that it isolates us. So what do we do about that? Well, we become wealthy toward God. When? When do we become wealthy toward God? Well, it's not so much a matter of selling your possessions, although for some of us, maybe we need to do that. Maybe it would be an act of obedience and an act of faith for us to uh, scale back our lifestyles. You know what? Let's let's talk about that. That that might not be that might not be a bad thing. Uh, it might not be necessarily a bad thing to 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 wait on that purchase or to to work longer so that you can give more. 
All, all of those things are, are nice things. They're things worth thinking about. But how do you get rich toward God? Well, you get rich toward God by beginning here. You get rich toward God by recognizing that you're poor. You get rich toward God by recognizing that I am not my own, but belong body and soul to Jesus Christ, my faithful Savior. He has paid for fully for all of my sins with his precious blood. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. If I'm ever going to have any kind of sense of wealth towards God, it begins with a recognition of my own poverty. My own neediness. My own drive for independence that blinds me from the fact that I am a needy, poor sinner. Right? And so once I begin from that orientation and I begin to think about that, then what happens to me is the pressure does come off. I am able to say to soul, you can relax. And you know why you can relax? Not because your barns are full, but because Jesus died for you. You can relax. Because that's what he's done. He has provided that. So, so the, the fact is that he loves me. He is for me. If those things are, 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 are true, then my need for my next meal or my next pair of shoes or my next uh, shirt or my next car or my next whatever, I, I can trust him with that. And I don't have to be so wrapped up in the pursuit of these things. Because he loves me. He is for me. I am poor. He is rich, and his atoning sacrifice for me is the clearest evidence of his love and his mercy. You see, I think that is the thing that is so profound about this for us is that this, that this, the issue that we all face, and ultimately, this emphasis upon worry and anxiety, worry and anxiety and fear, is the unbelief, oh, you of little faith, that God really loves you. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's use this prayer of confession from the uh, Ten Commandments to uh, confess our sins uh, this morning. Pray with me. O Lord, our God, who brought his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, And by Christ delivered us from sin. You have been faithful to keep all the promises of your covenant. But we, O Lord, have been a stiff-necked people who love unfaithfulness. We have loved other gods before you and become their servants. We have not worshipped you in spirit and in truth. And so we have mocked your glory in heaven. We have used your name in vain and profaned your reputation on earth. We have desecrated your Sabbath because we have not trusted you to give us rest. We have not honored our fathers and mothers, and so we have proved ourselves rebels. 
We have hated our neighbors and murdered them in our hearts. We have made adulterers of ourselves in the lust of our eyes or in the deeds of our flesh. We have stolen honor and wealth and privileges that are not ours. We have lied and falsely accused, for we love gossip more than truth. We have coveted blessings you wisely and righteously gave to others. O Lord, have mercy on us, for we have not kept your law. Believer, hear the good news. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 